really the idea behind it is to just provide a sense of security for myself and for the people that I love and I'm responsible for. So basically what I do is I walk around the first level of the house. I make sure the windows are closed, the doors are locked, the, the, the extra latches are set, the deadbolts are, are turned. Uh, I go and grab my keys, the two remote uh, key extensions, and I push the lock buttons and I make sure that I hear a, a beep beep that tells me that both cars are locked. I head up the stairs, I look toward the three bedrooms of my siblings, and I make sure that all is well. And when I get to that point, uh, after obviously brushing my teeth and taking out my contacts, uh, I can finally dress and go to bed. You see, that's what's important, right? We, we have to have a sense of security before we seek pleasure. Security is very important to us. It's something that we want. Matter of fact, we spend a lot of money in order to get it. Just cyber security alone, protecting the information and privacy that we have over our information and our identity, just cyber security alone. For the years 2017 to the year 2021, it's expected that we're going to spend at least $1 trillion on cyber security. You think about the Department of Homeland Security and uh, its 2020 budget, it's over $50 billion. Security is very important to us. It's something that we're willing to pay very Sadly enough, however, we're anything but secure. We want to feel safe, but often we feel the opposite. We feel vulnerable. We feel threatened. And that leads to fear. We crave peace and the deepest part of who we are, but instead, inside, we look for this turmoil. We know something isn't right. And it leads to unsettling. It leads to lacking the inner peace and security that we crave spending all this money on. And it seems like no matter how hard we try, security is lacking. These technological advances and innovations, it feels like security is fading out of the picture. Here's the question that we need to answer. Where is security found in this world? One that's real, one that lasts. more personally about it, you probably want to ask the question, how can I, as a person, live securely? Here's the good news for us this morning. The answer is security. And it's very simple, actually. Now, it doesn't mean that it's easy. It can be profoundly difficult, given our human nature. Especially because we have a tendency to complicate these things to our own, to pursue false senses of that, we also live with false senses of freedom. In this season that we live in, in really any season, COVID-19 or not, how can we live and know we will indeed live together? The psalmist in Psalm 125 gives us a very clear answer. I'm going to read that for you as we continue our study Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, 
which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. From this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land abiding for the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to be drawn. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will do away with evil. about the people in your life that you know or watch on TV. Uh, think about your uh, perception of security and maybe the people, the kind of people that live in there. What do you think? Who are those that live secure? Is it those who have money? A rising 401k? A salary that goes above and beyond basic needs? Are they those with a high level of intelligence, man, they're smart. They're secure in their intelligence and their high IQ. Is it those who have technology? Those that have access to infinite information? Is it those who have gained personal success? The approval of others, maybe, that have come with that success. Maybe uh, the, those with, who live in security are those with great friends and vast relationships. People that have thousands of friends on Facebook. People that get many likes on their posts. Maybe they're the ones that have security. Maybe people who just have a, a large family and a loving atmosphere devoid of conflict. Maybe it's those who are religious live in a particular way that most people would see, and most importantly, they would see themselves as morally superior. Maybe their work, what they do, gives them a sense of security. What do we find Do you find security in any of these things I've just listed? In this odd that we're living in now during the coronavirus and COVID-19 has this season removed some of those things that give you security? Have you lost money or your job? Is your intelligence proving futile in the moment? This technology, you've lost any of these things. Have you now lost your sense level of vulnerability, feeling like you're more threatened in a time like this. If that's you this morning, I want you to know that the Word of God points us clearly to the answer to this question, who lives securely? Look at verse 1. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides 
forever. God's word tells us plainly that we need to live securely. It is those who trust in Him, those who trust in the Lord. The text tells us that those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. They cannot be moved. They're secure. They're stable. They're immovable. They're unshakable. Those who trust in the Lord. Their security is conveyed by comparing it to the security of the city of God. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. Zion was the city of God. The earthly city of God would have been Jerusalem. And yet the and, and that would have been the home of David the king, the city of David. And yet the scriptures uh, throughout the, the narrative of the Bible point to another Zion, a heavenly Zion, the city of God in heaven. It's where God is. It's God's city, His presence with His people. And this Mount Zion becomes a picture and a place of safety and of deliverance for the people of God. That the people would find it to be a refuge and a help to provide the security that they both long for and need. And the wonderful thing that we see here is that he says those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. That those who trust in the Lord enjoy this safety in a permanent way. It abides forever. You get the idea of the Lord sustaining His people in this secure state. It is a secure state for those who trust in the Lord. And so, all these other things are not necessarily bad that we've already mentioned, but if they are ultimately the source of our security, they really become for us false senses of security. They may give us the feeling of security, but it is the Lord alone trusting in Him that provides the security that we need. Why should we say such things? Why does the psalmist say those that trust in the Lord are the ones that are secure? Well, he tells us they're secure because the Lord surrounds those who trust in Him. That's the promise. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people from this time forth and forevermore. What an amazing thing to hear. What a promise for those who trust in the Lord. Right? You think about the city of uh, Mount Zion in Jerusalem, and you think about the city that is surrounded by all these other mountains. And that became a protective shelter for Israel and for the city of Jerusalem. And so this becomes a metaphor, an image of the real and true protection and surrounding presence of God that hems them in behind and before to ensure their safety and their security. That's what makes God's people secure. The Lord surrounding protection. He becomes for them an impenetrable wall of security around their lives and their souls. It's a reality, again, this time forth and forevermore. This surrounding work of the Lord for His people is one that is now a reality, and yet it's one that will always be a reality. So the Lord surrounds His people who trust in Him. 
They also are secure because the Lord protects them from evil and its effects. Look at verse 3. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. He's saying this, that those who trust in the Lord are secure because the Lord is always protecting those who trust in Him from evil and its effects. The scepter of wickedness, the rule, the influence of all that is wicked and evil in the world may attempt to come at the people of God. But the encouragement here is that those who should trust in the Lord, there will be no scepter of wickedness. There, there will be no influence of evil in this place where God is in His kingdom and His people. This really points us to our greatest threat, doesn't it? It points us to the ultimate threat. Wickedness, evil, sin, sin in the world and sin in our hearts. You see, right now, we're doing all that we can to stop the spread of this virus, to, to flatten the curve, to stay home. We are avoiding what seems to be and is a very real physical threat to our health. We should be doing those things. But it'd be very easy for us to forget our greatest threat, and that is the sin of our hearts, the wickedness in the world. And the wonderful thing that we hear in this passage is that for those who trust in the Lord, that they are safe and secure from the threats of evil. That ultimately the Lord will indeed protect His people. He will sustain them and He will surround them. What an amazing promise that He is. Those who trust in the Lord are secured by Him. So there it is. Who uh, is the source of security? It's the Lord. How do we live secure? We trust in the Lord. But I think it would be helpful for us to at least investigate what it really means to trust in the Lord. What does it mean to believe? What does it mean to have faith in the Lord? As we're going to see, this is significant because trusting or not trusting is going to become a matter for us of life and death. So it's very important for us belief is, and there is so much confusion and assumption to be made about this. So what is faith? What does it mean to trust in the Lord? Thomas Chalmers, a Scottish pastor in the uh, early to mid-19th century, was having some trouble explaining the nature of saving faith to uh, a woman in, in his community. He was trying, he was trying to explain to her that this is what faith is, and, and that is what faith is. She was having a hard time understanding it. She became somewhat frustrated. And the story goes on to say that basically he had done his best, and he left her presence and began to walk away and exited out through her backyard, out through the gate, and just a little far off, the woman continued to watch and as he left, he came upon a little bridge over a river. And when he came up to the bridge, he looked at the bridge, 
touched one side of it, and then he jumped back because he was reluctant to put his full weight on it. So you can imagine him coming up and, and then, oh, hopping back. And he touched it a little bit, then he showed a little fear, and he jumped back. And the woman noticed that, that he was doing this, and she thought that his behavior was so strange. Why would he take a step and then jump back? Finally, the woman yelled. She, she shouted from her back porch, and she said, Go ahead, leap your all on the bridge. Dude, that's my Leap your all on the bridge. And then Chalmers turned, and he, he shouted back at her and said, And you, man, you should leave your all on the Lord Jesus Christ. That faith is a leaning all of us into all of Him. That's what faith is. It's, it's dependent. It's reliant. It's leaning. Leaning all of us into all of Him. Spurgeon adds this definition to be consistent. He says, lean with all your weight upon Christ. Cast yourself upon Jesus. Rest in Him. Commit yourself we often hear of this leap of faith that people take. And it's so not what faith is. Faith is no leaping. Like, as if it's groundless. Just like running and jumping off a cliff with some sort of intuitive instinct. Well, I just feel like it's right, and I'm going to dive off the cliff, and I'm going to be groundless and leap into faith. That's not what faith is at all. It's not a leaping. It is at first a, a, a listening. It's a, it's a hearing. Hearing a word about God, which really is His promises that He makes to us by covenant. That's what uh, He does. He takes the people as His own and He makes a promise to them. And you hear that word. Faith starts with a hearing, a listening. And then it is a looking, a looking upon and seeing Jesus for all that He is. And when we hear this word of Christ, and we look upon Christ and His work and all of His glory, faith ultimately becomes, after listening, and after investigating, after considering a, 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 a grounded uh, truth claim about who He is, we lean in. We lean in. We rest in. We give all that we are. We lean all that we are on Christ into Him and all that He is and has done. That's what faith does. That's what faith is. It's a leaning on the Savior. The believer throws weight on Jesus Christ, on the Lord, trusting in Him, depending upon Him, relying upon Him fully. That's what it is. So those who fully lean into Him, they're the ones that are secure. They're the ones that rest in the security of Jesus. So trust in the Lord. Lean in. And you yourself will be But why faith? Why is trusting the ticket to such safety and security? Is it because faith itself is inherently sufficient? 
Again, that's another a mantra of the day that just believe. Like faith itself and just being sincere about whatever you believe, that is what's important so you have security. But that's not what we are told here at all. It's not just faith itself, but something much more significant that I don't want you to miss. This week I had a conversation with someone who attends here regularly. The phone call was, was a, a wonderful conversation, and yet it was a little bit uh, shocking to hear, and yet at the same time not shocking, because I think we can all sympathize and understand with the nature of the concern person basically shared that I'm not really sure that I'm saved. I've been going to church my whole life, and I believe, and sometimes I struggle, sometimes I don't believe, sometimes I'm doing well with my walk, sometimes my devotional life is vibrant, and other times I'm not sure I, I really have any desire at all to read the Bible, and it's very dull. And I'm reading the book of Hebrews, and it's telling me that if I don't endure, that if I shrink back, then I'm not saved, and I'm not sure if I'm saved. Matter of fact, I don't think I'm saved at all. Because my faith doesn't seem real so often. I wonder if you can identify with that struggle. I know I can. Our conversation, I trust, is an encouragement. Because I was able to point him to this particular truth that I think is fundamental and absolutely necessary to understand if we're ever going to live in the assurance that we need to be secure. It's this, is that it is the Lord, not our faith, that is our security. It's those who trust in the Lord. They're the ones that are like Mount Zion. They're the ones that are surrounded. They're the ones that are protected. Those who trust in the Lord. Because it is the Lord that is our security, not our faith in the Lord that is our security. Yes, faith is necessary. And it's the means by which we receive all of God's promises. But faith itself is not securing. God is. The Lord is. I began to share with him that the more that we look at our own lives and share the ups and downs of our walk, it's easy to lose assurance. But the more that we fix our eyes on the object of our faith, the more that we look to Jesus, the more that we see Him, the author and perfecter of our faith, the more our assurance increases. And so often Christians have unnecessary insecurity based on their failures, their disappointments, based on their intense battles with sin, the besetting sins of our lives that seem to shackle us the lies that we accuse them, that we feel. All these factors, just to name a few, can rattle us and shake us and make us feel insecure, like we're not even saved anymore. But it's the Lord who is our security, not, not our faith. And I love the way D.A. Carson explains uh, to Jesus moment of the Passover in the book of Exodus. It's a hypothetical situation that maybe you can imagine. You have two Jews prior to the Passover. They've been given these instructions to sacrifice a lamb and to put the blood of the lamb over the door frames of their houses. 
And then basically what would happen is if the blood of the lamb was on the doorpost of the houses, then the angel of death would pass through Egypt. And if that blood was there, you would literally pass over that house and the firstborn child would not die. And at your home, it does not have that blood of the firstborn child would uh, die as you enter that dwelling. So he puts this hypothetical situation and he asks the question of two beings. One just said, what do you think is going to happen? And, 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 and he says, listen, the Lord said, this is what we're going to do. I firmly believe it. So this one, I'm going to trust in the blood. I'm going to put it on the doorpost. But you know what? We're going to get out of here. And the Lord's going to bring us out of Egypt. The other just said, yeah, you know, I'm not really quite sure. You know, all that's gone on with all these plagues and Moses seems a little crazy. I'm not really sure what to think. And the other just said, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to put this blood on my doorpost, but still, still struggling to figure out what all this means. And he asked the question, which of the beings uh, 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 homes did the angel pass over? What do you think? He said, both. Both. And he goes on to say that death doesn't pass over them on the ground of the intensity or the clarity of the faith that's exercised, but on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. That's what silences the accuser. And so when we stand before the throne of Almighty God someday, what will we point to? What will give us security and peace before His wrath? Will you say, Lord, look at my faith. Look at how much I trusted you. Will faith save you? Will your record be impressed? Uh, will it impress God? And will it be approved by God? The answer is absolutely no. You're going to come before God and say this, I've got nothing. Jesus is my everything. And I place all my hope and all my faith for salvation from my sin in His blood. And His blood is all that I have. Because it's not our faith that saves. It's the object of our faith that saves us. That is an absolute, uh, massively important thing to think about here. What makes those who trust in the Lord is secure, is the immovable and unshakable nature of the one in whom they trust. It's the unchangeable nature of His Word. It's the irrevocable nature of His promises and the effectiveness of His sacrifice. It's His, his immutable nature. His security is what makes our, us secure. And faith is simply a means of appropriating all that He is as our security. What an amazing thing. What encouragement for those who struggle, who sin, who are weak in the faith, who look at their lives and see the ups and downs, who aren't sure. What an amazing thing to rest in the security of the Lord. It's those who trust in the Lord. It's the Lord that are secure. goes on in verse 5 to tell us of people who don't trust in the Lord. He says, those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. 
And that word in verse 5, but, creates a contrast. Don't miss that. It creates, it, it draws a line in the sand. It divides the world in two. You have people that trust in the Lord, who live in security. And there are people who do not trust in the Lord, who are characterized by turning away from the Lord to their own crooked ways. Trusting in their own wisdom, in their own ideas, in their own direction. That's what the Bible calls crooked ways. It's hard for us to think like this, especially in the day and age where the world likes to make everyone the same. To minimize all distinction. To envision a world. To reimagine a society. That is one. And to uh, eradicate distinct definitions from individual beings. It's all the same is the mantra and the rhetoric of a pluralistic society. But the scriptures paint for us a, a massively different picture. So different than that. There's contrast here. There's contrast in two kinds of people, and there's contrast in two kinds of ways in which the Lord relates to them. Those who trust in the Lord live in security. Those who turn aside to their own crooked ways, the Bible tells us that the Lord is actively leading them away with His people. Leading them away from security. Leading them away from Zion. and the reprobate, those who delight in the law of the Lord, and those who are wicked, Then you have those who trust in the Lord, and those who turn aside to their own crooked ways. That's the nature of our sin and rebellion, and it's been that way since the Garden of Eden. We heard a word that was trustworthy. Decisively, voluntarily, said, I have a different way. I'm going to do what a different thing that God prohibits. It's against your command. We devise our own plan for safety, comfort, and security. And oftentimes, it is those false senses of security that we've already laid out. Money, sex, approval. Outside of us, and we need to turn and trust in an outside alien security that can only come from God Himself. So let me ask you the question this morning: Are you trusting in the Lord this 
source of security? Or are you turning from evil to your own crooked ways? To false senses of security, to idols, to false gods, to substitutes, to addictions, to ambitions. The walls of pride that we build up can easily make us feel secure. But in all reality, they're creating an absolute opposite reality to what God has called us to. So examine your heart today. Trust Him as you turn away. Here are vulnerable time, it can feel very threatening. Trust in Jesus. Lean your all into Him. And do so mindful of His great love for you and His faithfulness towards you. Remember that there's a connection between love and trust. We can trust in someone that knows that we know loves us has our best interest in mind, that has pure and perfect motives, we can trust them. And it's a shame to not mention the reality of Christ's love for us. When we read a word like those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with the evildoers. It's hard to not think about that phrase in light of the the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ, which purchased and secured all foundation for human security. It is simply this. That He is the one led away with the evildoers. He was led away with the evildoers from the gospel, the place of this skull. He was not an evildoer, but he was led away with the evildoers. Jesus Christ took upon himself sacrificially, obediently, and willfully. He incurred the full penalty of the wrath of God on behalf of the evildoers. His name is Jesus. You're called to trust in the one who is fulfillment of all of God's promises to you. He laid down His life for you. He loves you. And He continues to love you. You can trust in a Lord that loves like that. He saved you and rescued you from the wickedness of the world and the sin in your heart. He reconciled you back to Him into a relationship that is very simple and beautiful. One of absolute trust and eternal security. And it's all because of Jesus that he was led away with the evildoers, that he endured the cross, despised its shame, and yet he was raised from the dead and he sat down at the right hand of God. You can trust him. Such a relationship between trusting and and being loved. Those who fear the Lord, those who look to Christ 
and its all-sufficient perfect work, in all of its magnificent beauty and perfection, in his deep love for us, that even while we were enemies, Christ died for us. Those who see that and look to that and trust in it, they are secure. They could not be more secure in God throughout, throughout all eternity. And Paul hammers it home so clearly, so uh, assuredly in his closing paragraph in Romans chapter 8. Because it's easy for us to think that this assurance of security goes up and down. It doesn't. He asks the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, adding this, or coronavirus? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall anything? He says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loves us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Be safe. Those who trust, those who look, those who lean all they are into Jesus Christ are safe. They are secure. It's because of His great love that you cannot be separated from. It is because of His great faithfulness that every word that He's spoken, He has faithfully kept in Jesus Christ. Those who are born again are as secure as God is faithful. That's John Piper. You are secure as God is faithful. To question your security is to call into question the very faithfulness of Almighty God in whom you trust, who has brought all of His promises to fruition in Jesus Christ in His life, death, and resurrection. Faithful, He'll do it. He promised it, and it will come to pass. What a promise for us in such a life-shaking dependent world. What a promise. What a call. What a warning upon us all that we should not turn to our own perfect ways, but we should turn and trust in the Lord who gives us security. So if you live secure, Psalm 25 tells us those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion.